Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Hey guys, welcome to the 31st episode of Dealmaker Diaries with Harry Hill, co-founder with Think Fitness of Better You, the master franchiser of UFC Gym in Japan. The vision of Better You is fitness and education are lifelong endeavors, and we are dedicated to providing a platform as well as products and services to stimulate customers of all ages to stay fit and keep learning. Better You opened its first UFC Gym Japan location in Yoga Setagaya-ku area of Tokyo in April 2020. Despite the obvious challenges of opening a new location during the COVID-19 pandemic, the UFC Gym Japan achieved steady growth with an energetic customer base, opening its second location in April 2021 in the Ogikubo area of Tokyo. Hill is a passionate and dynamic business and civic leader. As president and CEO of Oaklawn Marketing Inc., from 2006 until 2017, the company grew from 15 billion yen to 68 billion yen in sales. Hill and his management team created a powerful corporate culture based on the vision of enriching lifestyles worldwide. In 2009, he orchestrated one of the largest M&A transactions of the year when NTT Docomo took a 51% share in Oakland Marketing. In September of 2017, Hill stepped down from the day-to-day operations, but remains active as an outside director. In addition to Better You and Oakland Marketing, Hill has founded, managed, or been on the board of numerous companies in a variety of industries, promoting international exchange and education, sports and entertainment management, real estate and relocation services, master plan community development, including the development of two golf courses and a sauce company that analyzes GPS data to understand human behavior. In both business and civic activities, the themes of self-reliance, empowerment, education, and optimistic vision for the future drive hill. In Japanese, his two favorite words are the homonym sozo. The first characters mean imagine, and the second characters mean to build. Hill's management and leadership philosophy encompasses both meanings, imagining unrealized potential that is tempered with a concrete blueprint to achieve. The two words must coexist for sustained success. Hill and his wife of 36 years, Yumiko, have five children and one grandchild. He is a fifth degree black belt in the Shoniji Kimpu and currently coaches kickboxing at UFC gyms in Japan. He has acted in several productions of Shakespeare with the Nameless Theater Group in Nagoya. And I'm gonna preface this podcast with, um, as many of you know, I'm splitting my time between Tokyo and Austin. And I'm currently here in Austin, my place is sparsely furnished. So you're gonna hear a slight echo, which sounds like I'm basically in an empty room. So just to preface you guys and give you a heads up on that. But um, with that being said, let's give Mr. Harry Hill a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. So, hey, Harry, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Don. Your morning going okay so far? So far, so good. As I said, I you know I I, I got I got my morning workout and got a little sparring in, uh, walked away, and I'm you know I'm still happy. So I'm good. <laughs> All right, good. So you got some adrenaline going. That's right. I need, I needed to be sharp for our interview. Yeah, definitely. All right, so yeah, let's jump right into it, Harry. So, um, from what I understand, you came to Japan in um, 1985 and initially worked for the Board of Education in Kifu for a few years. Right. And after after that, you established several ventures that taught you how to create and sell ideas, along with the importance of managing cash and cash flow and profit creation. So with, with that in mind, can you tell me a story that really drove home the importance of these two things in the in the early days of your entrepreneurial career? Sure. So as I said, I, I started, I, I first came to Japan in 1985, worked for the Board of Education, and then the for two years and then my last year and a half 
I helped uh, the local government put on a, a, a local expo, which also had an international flair to it. So that was actually very uh, beneficial to me because it allowed me to create a network of, of, uh, of contacts, both in the government and business, in the essentially in the in the middle region, the Chuba region of Japan. So, which is Aichi, where Nagoya is, Gifu, uh, Mie, uh, Shizuoka. Um, okay. So my first, so so I I, I I then went after working three and a half years. I went back and worked on Wall Street for a short period of time, and came back to Japan in 1990 because I was just convinced at the time there was more things happening in Japan. Uh, we now know that that was the height of the bubble, but at that time I didn't know it was bubble. All I knew is that everything was happening in Japan. Hmm. So you know what we have is it's 1990. I'm a I'm a I'm a young guy, and I'm looking at this thing, I think there's all these opportunities. Uh, and what I, what I, looking back on it, what I realize now is that I had the opportunity to look for inefficiencies in the, in the system. And for several years, I was able to deliver, I was sort of a, able to kind of wedge myself into certain niche places and create value um, because, uh, because of an inefficiency. So let me give you a couple of examples. At the time, so this is 1990, you know, Japan is just booming. And there was this whole huge focus on what, what, what they would call Kokusai which is international exchange. And all, the, you know, all these local governments were flush with money and they wanted to, to do exchange programs um, with uh, other cities. So there was huge growth in sister cities and all sorts of things. So... Um, I, you know, I helped broker a bunch of sister city programs. And then I watched as the local Japanese um, travel companies would then create packages that they would sell to the governments to send uh, high school students or junior high school students or, or you know, sometimes whole, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people in their towns or villages uh, to do an exchange program with another town or village in the United States. What was amazing to me was the price tag. And this was before the liberalization of, 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 uh, of the travel industry in Japan. So they were putting a price tag on these 10 to 12 day trips where a lot of it was the, the incoming, the inbound travel in, in the United States was homestay at 500,000 yen. So essentially 4,500, you know, $5,000. Mm-hmm. And I would look at this and I would think, oh my God, you know, because, you know, I knew that travel, uh, uh, plane travel wasn't as cheap as it is now, but still I knew that if I could, I could buy a plane ticket for less than 200,000 yen. And I knew that everything that they were doing inside, you know, in terms of the packages they were doing in terms of travel, you know, in, in the United States and, and hotels and homestay and meals and all that sort of stuff, you know, at most they were spending seven, 800 bucks, which meant that, you know, here was 30, 40 um, people that they were, that they were charging and they're, and they were essentially charging 500,000 yen and essentially doubling their money. So their profit was essentially 2000 per person. And I looked at that and said, there's got to be a business opportunity there. And so what I did is I helped create in all those places that I, I made the links for and, and created the, 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 uh, the exchange programs where we, we, we then created an inbound travel opportunity so that we, you know, so that then we would get at least some share of, of that money. And because, because I was able to, to create the ties inside the local governments, they would specify that it had to be me. So that, so that the, originally the, the travel companies, they well, we don't have to use this guy. We, we have our own local operators, but the local op, you know, I was able to sort of uh, put that together. And, and, uh, and, and until the liberalization of the travel industry, which happened about 1995, uh, there was just tremendous opportunities to trying to create these, you know, to, to, to become, in, to, to leverage myself inside that system. The one other thing I'll, I'll mention is that at, at the same time, I was also working with a large network marketing company that every year 
took about 2,000 of their top uh, 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 network marketers. Uh, it, it was a, a U.S. company, and they would, they would do a, 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 a trip to the United States. And again, the same thing was happening, but they, you know, this was 2,000 people. And the, the, the travel companies were you know, essentially charging 500,000 yen ahead when I knew that the actual costs were less than uh, 300,000 yen. Um, and with that, when I was actually able to leverage myself in, and then I, I created the opportunity to, I chartered airplanes uh, and, you know, created essentially a back door um, so that we were able to then capture the whole business, all of that 200,000 for about three, four years. Um, wow. Where we captured that. And again, since, 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 you know, since you know the the travel agencies were essentially you know, almost doubling it, I was able to undercut them by a thousand bucks per person times two thousand. You know that's a lot of money, yeah. And still make over a thousand dollars a person. Um, so you know that was those are kind of ideas with just able to to recognize an inefficiency in the market, and then. Um, since I was at the time, no was not something that I uh, that I understood very well. So when people say, "Well, you can't do it that way," I just tr- figured out a way to do it. Now, the interesting thing is that that particular industry, once HIS and the traveling industry all of a sudden liberalized in Japan, that business just disappeared because all of all of a sudden my value add, where where it, where I was essentially, you know able to, to add a thousand bucks a person or something like that his all of a sudden went and said no we're going to offer discount plane tickets and you know only put 50 bucks up mm-hmm. so so all of a sudden you know it, you know so i had several times where my business you know i had businesses that you know exploited an inefficiency for a period of time but once the finished the inefficiency stopped being inefficient it just disappeared mm-hmm. the lucky thing about that was I didn't really have. Uh, I, I was. I was creating. Uh, I was creating value and profit, but I wasn't. I, I didn't have to. I didn't have to invest a lot of money in terms right. of. So I didn't have a lot of. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of risk in in infrastructure or, or 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 parts or people or pieces. So um, when it when it, you know, the hard thing was was recognizing that it was over, and that always <laughs> takes a little bit of time. Um, but once I recognized it, at least the damage was 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 relatively small, um, you know, because you know I didn't I hadn't invested millions of dollars in in, in buildings or or things, you know. So, so, but so that that was kind of one. And then another sort of interesting story that people might have an idea of is, uh, and, and just because at the time it was it was it was it was a heady time in Japan, and as I said, I was I was looking for inefficiencies. This was before Nomo, he, you know, Hideo Nomo went to the uh, went to the United States. So agents in Japan were illegal. You you could you weren't allowed to be an agent in Japan. Mm-hmm. But I had a couple of I, I had made some contacts in the baseball world in the United States, and so I had a couple of agents in the United States hire me to get them to to try and get uh, deals for their for some of their good minor league players to play in Japan. And so I was actually able to act as a representative of U.S. agents and, and ended up placing uh, several players uh, on Japanese teams, which, again, was, uh, was reasonably profitable. Um, but then once Nomo and everything broke that, that you know, then real agents they, you know, got, to, got to come in uh, to the market and and that um, that opportunity also kind of you know it was it was it was good for a couple of years and then it just disappeared. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So yeah, you're you just able to recognize opportunities and exploit those, and had a good run doing those. And yeah, and and it was you know it was fun, uh, and and you know it was it was kind of interesting in that. You know, one of the things that it taught me, and it's a, and it's a lesson that I've that I, that I learned early, is that pretty much no door 
is that hard uh, to get into. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think one of the, the themes of my life is that I've somehow or another been able to punch above my weight uh, in, you know, for, for um, you know, because I just haven't, haven't allowed people to tell me that I can't go and meet somebody or knock on somebody's indoors. Hey, you know, let's, let's, can we do something? Can we, is this an opportunity for us to do business together? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one final example. And then because, you know, things, things change, but in, 19, in 1991, which uh, was Lee Trevino's, uh, uh, I think it was, it, was, it was his rookie year on the senior tour. And he, but at the time, he was the most popular golfer in the world. Everybody was, was interested in him. And there was uh, this gentleman in, uh, in, uh, in Gifu who was building, he, he was very rich. He was the, he was the uh, senior director of, a comp- of one of the big Japanese trading companies called Itomanjoji. And, uh, Itomanjoji. And, and he was, and, and with his own money, he was building this spectacular golf course. And he contacted one of the local TV stations and says, this is the best golf course in Japan. It's going to be spectacular. And I want to uh, christen it with a special senior tournament. And, and, and then he, he told the TV station, uh, and the most popular golfer in the world is Lee Trevino. You need to go get him and have him play at the tournament that's you know, that, I, that's going to open up my course. So they contacted me and, uh, and, and they, they brought me into him and, and he said, can you do this? And of course I had no idea, but if, you know, uh, I just said, of course I can. And he said, well, thank great. You know, get him. And if you, you know, whatever it is, whatever his appearance fee is, I'll give you 10%. So, which didn't put a lot of, uh, motivation on me to go low. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but, but, but the interest, so, but, but, you know, so I went in and, you know, figured out a way to get to Lee Trevino and, and got here and, 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 you know, this kind of, this weird stuff, like they, these guys don't know me from Adam, but, you know, I was able to walk in and just sort of kind of explain myself and, and, you know, this is pre-internet and all this kind of stuff that, uh, got, you know, had, had you know, got Lee Trevino to agree to appear. And at the time that was the highest appearance fee ever paid to a golfer in the history of golf. Now, in the, in, since then, of course, the, those appearance fees have, have they've gone way, way more than we, we did then. Was, you know, at the time, it was a couple hundred thousand dollars. But, um, but it was, it was kind of interesting that I was, you know, I was able to, I, I always, I sometimes think that I'm like Forrest Gump. I'd figure out <laughs> ways to kind of get in there and I'd get in the picture. But, you know, I, I you know, now the, I'll, 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 I'll finish this story. And the interesting thing was that this particular gentleman, uh, 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 Ito Suimitsu, who built this golf course and, and, and had this huge event. And, and it was essentially just a, a huge, uh, 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 you know, uh, self-congratulatory event that he was doing. And even, um, two weeks later, he was arrested because uh, he, he, at the time, he ended up being the largest white collar criminal in the history of Japan. And he had taken the, he had taken this, this, he had, what he had done. And, and do you, do you remember in the early 1990s when, when Japanese companies bought Pebble Beach and all those Picassos and, and, you know, it, it just like unbelievable, uh, you know, high numbers. What he had done is he had created a shell company to buy Pebble Beach. I think he bought Pebble Beach for like 500 million and then immediately flipped it to the public company that he was the senior managing director for in Japan for 900 million. And so, um, so, you know, it all came out, but him in the process, he had, he had tried to, well, he had actually successfully um, embezzled, you know, you know, I, when I did the math, you're looking at the newspaper upwards of $600 million. Wow. And, it, and I was, and I was hanging out with this guy and he hired me to do this. Like, I got paid. So, was okay but even that was another thing where i was you know he was you know at, during that golf tournament we're we're he and i were riding around together on 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 
on the, the golf shack just overlooking this and like we like own the world and he's looking at me and says you're my boy and i've got a lot of stuff i'm gonna be doing between <laughs> japan and the united states and you're the guy who's gonna be helping me out i'm like 27 years old this is the greatest thing ever and you know again that disappeared pretty quick too <laughs> <laughs> is he still around is that guy still around uh, he's still in jail from right oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. But the golf course is still there. I actually uh, last year I, I went I went and played the golf course. I hadn't been back in I hadn't been back in thirty years. Beautiful golf course. <laughs> Man, does does so does this guy have does he have kids? Um, is, are his kids around enjoying his um the fruits of his labor, or did they seize? You know, that's that's a that's a good question. I I believe he did. I believe he did have a family. I mean, he was an interesting guy because. Um, you know, I got to know him a little bit. He was very charismatic. He was, I was 27. He was only about 10 years older than I was. So, you know, he, it was unusual for someone that young to be that powerful. Um, and he'd also been, he'd been a, a high school dropout. So, you know, wow. he was just, uh, uh, he, and, and um, you know, he, one of the things that he'd done is with, with the money, I guess, that he embezzled, he created uh, an extremely uh, profitable um, wedding planning company, um, and you know, I, I think that company I know is well. I know that that company still exists. It's but the name is different. Um, yeah, and I, it's a good, good question. I don't know what happened to his family. Um, okay. I, but um, but but I think you know if, if I there are things that I. My early career as an entrepreneur was was really you know, searching for opportunities, uh, kind of wedging myself in there. Generally, they were you know what it, what it turned out is they were niche. They were they were somewhat hit and miss. The nice thing about the hit and miss aspect to it though was that when they hit, they were reasonably profitable, and I was still a young young man, so that I could. I could live off the profits and then so I, I could have, you know, something that, that would hit, you know, two or three things that hit. And then I might, if I had, you know, had a bunch of, you know, lean months, that was okay. Cause I, you know, until I found the next place, you know, next way to, to kind of niche myself in, um, um, you know, it, it, so that, you know, it learned me to sort of search for niches and it also taught me the value of pivoting quickly when things change. And, okay. uh, in my first four or five years, things changed a lot, and I had there were I had to do quite a few pivots. Okay, and let's uh, let's talk about um, one of your other earlier ventures, um, H and R Consultants, which you um, yes, if I understand correctly, you founded that with uh, Robert Roche. That is correct. And so. Also so that's kind of a this so this this is this was kind of an interesting story in in december of 1990 um the the consul general in nagoya uh helped to organize a business group uh called the american business community of nagoya uh and and particularly because there was going to be this huge growth of american families because uh, because of all the different aerospace joint ventures that were going to happen between Japan and the United States. And this was all because of the, the trade imbalance and this tremendous pressure being put on Japan and particularly the you know, Mitsubishi and Kawasaki to do joint ventures. And then so that based on those, that pressure, all of a sudden in the early, from 1990, late 1990 until 1993, I think uh, Boeing, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Lockheed, Martin, they, they moved 200, 250 families uh, into Nagoya, you know, from literally nothing to 250 families. And at the inaugural meeting of that business community, I met Robert. And Robert and I were, were two young entrepreneurs, hungry, trying to find our way. And we looked at each other and it was clear that either we were going to hate each other or we were going to be friends. And there was nothing in between. And the at the time, he had already started to build a network with the um, 
with the American companies and particularly the aerospace companies that were coming in. At the time, I had a, I had a much better network in the Japanese community, and I had a couple of uh, strong contacts in the uh, Japanese real estate community. So we looked at each other and realized that um, rather than trying to fight each other, that becoming partners and providing services uh, to the expat community in Nagoya. And now in, in Tokyo, that was, that was already a, a well-developed business. You had Ken Corporation, et cetera. But there was no uh, company like that that was offering those services uh, in Nagoya. So we, I mean, literally within, I think, you know, a couple of weeks of, of meeting each other, we, we shook hands and said, let's, let's exploit this opportunity together. And he had other things going on and I had other things going on, but we created H&R Consultants. And, um, you know, when I talk to you about sometimes having those lean year, you know, lean months, I mean, um, H&R was, was, was great because H&R, you know, in the early 90s, was, it wasn't hugely profitable, but it was very consistently profitable. And sometimes that was what kept, that was what allowed Robert and I to keep eating um, when in between the other deals that we were trying to do. So yeah, I mean, you talk about lean times there. Were, were there ever any times where you just thought um, this just not going to work out or you felt like throwing in the towel? Um, I don't think entrepreneurs have that option. <laughs> I, I, I certainly, I can remember times when I'm thinking, wow, how am I going to, how am I going to pay the rent or how am I, you know, you know, where, where's the, you know, where's the next, uh, where's the money going to come from? Um, but, uh, I, you know, the, it, it always said, okay, well, I just have to, have to just find something. Um, you, uh, so in those early years, I'm particularly, you know, uh, between 91, 95, 96, uh, uh, you know, I, no, I don't think we, I never got that down. Uh, certainly there were, there were times when, when, uh, when, you know, things were difficult. And, you know, as I said, there were times when all of a sudden you know, I had a great, what, what seemed like a great business that just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that was always pretty, that was always pretty shocking. Um, but, uh, I was able to kind of make sure that I had a lot of different, uh, opportunities that I was trying to, to that I was trying to continue to, to foster and, and, and nurture. Uh, so I never, I never got to a point where I, I thought, I don't know what to do. There was always, I know, okay, I just, you know, got to point myself in this direction and just figure it out yeah and yet, by that point you already had a family as well right you were you had already gotten married by that point in the early 90s so right? yeah so i was i was already so I, my first child was actually born in 1991 um okay. and uh and that that's that that's focuses you um and uh and my first child was born 91 uh 93 was my second child so uh by 94 95 i already had three children um you know by 1999, I had five. Uh, so, uh, you know, not there, figuring there's, it out. There's your motivation, right? And it's just yeah. running the tower right there. Yeah, that's right. You can't, so, you know, so essentially giving up is not an option. Um, however, you know, to, to, your, to your question, if, if, I look ba- if I look back uh, on sort of my bleakest times, and uh, and my bleakest times actually happened more in the late uh, 1990s. Um, so I, I, I took, as I mentioned, I, I, I um, you know, I had, you know, I, I was doing the international exchange. I was doing the travel. I was doing some some representative of sports, you know, uh, sports figures, uh, and all of those things, you know, were were fun. And and when they hit, they were they were very profitable. Um, uh, uh, the, the the work I was doing for several years with that uh, network marketing company was 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 really uh, stable until it stopped. Um, but in 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 that period of time, there was this one uh, real estate development company that I worked with very closely, 
that had really wanted to focus on uh, doing uh, investments in the United States. And I helped them uh, make several large uh, investments in master plan communities in the United States, um, one of which went uh, uh, woefully wrong, uh, it, particularly because the, the partners uh, in that deal were, um, were essentially crooks. Uh, and and they, 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 they fraudulently represented a lot of things and millions of dollars were invested and um, they had, uh, they had uh, essentially uh, um, bribed uh, the, uh, this, 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 the, the local board of, a, of, of the city in terms of getting, and getting entitlements and then all of that blew up and the entitlement stopped and and they had gotten all fi fi bank financing. The, the venture went uh, into bankruptcy. And so I ended up going to the United States to try and solve that. And I spent two years running that organization. And that was, in my mind, that was one of the, you know, I, I, I had got myself you know, equity and, and I was part of that organization. I thought that, was, I thought that was the deal that was going to make me my first multi-millions. Uh, instead, it ended up being almost 10 years, uh, and, and, and as each year progressed, it became, uh, it became a black hole of my time, my energy, and my passion. Okay. And I can remember, you know, at one point when I'm sitting there, and, um, and because I was the representative director of the company, uh, the banks, we had to take the companies into bankruptcy, and the banks then, in addition to to suing the companies for $20 million sued, sued me personally for $20 million, which, you know, not, not, which, not, which wasn't going to happen because I didn't have it. Um, and that was, that was pretty, that was pretty bleak. Um, uh, you know, and, you know, I'll say one of the things I, you know, it, it, took, it took a couple of years, it did work, work out, got, got it out of bankruptcy, kind of, kind of back on its feet. But then the best decision I ever made was, even after having put all of that time and effort into it, um, in 2001, I just walked away. And I just said, uh, I, I, I realized that um, my, in theory, it, there was the opportunity uh, to, to make a lot of money, but that the, the you know, my, my Japanese partners who, I realized we're, weren't, you know, weren't good people. The, the partners we had in the United States were not good people. Um, you know, uh, and, and, uh, you know, that was tough because it, there was so much sunken time and effort and cost that I yeah. put in, but then that, that decision and then literally to make a clean break and walk away, uh, and ended up being the most, the best, one of the, one of the best decisions, not the best decision I've made in my business life because everything good uh, in terms of like making, you know, getting to the next level uh, in my uh, business career has happened, happened since then. And okay. I couldn't have done it if I was still involved with those guys. Yeah, definitely not. Are you still, are you still in touch with any of those guys from that deal? Or are you still run across them every now and then? Or no contact at all. You know, to be honest, I I um I'm not in touch with any of the guys uh, from that deal, and uh, uh, I do know, um, you know, the the, the Japanese the Japanese uh, group that I was involved with. Uh, I, I know they're still doing they're doing well. Um, uh, it, it's 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 interesting. The 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 founder and uh, owner and, and president of that group was this tremendously charismatic um, gentleman who very, 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 very successful, um, uh, had, has this, had this just amazing power to inspire people and um, almost, uh, you know, create a, a, a cultish-like uh, following where his, you know, People would, would 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 be willing to almost lay down and uh, and you know die for him. They would, you know the, the ability to sacrifice. Um, 
and he gave you he, his one of his, his great ability was to inspire you and, and give you the, make you think that he was going to give you all sorts of opportunity to be to, to grow and be as successful as him uh, and what the, the painful and he was almost like a, he was like a mentor and almost like a second father to me and the painful realization that I came to was that it was all uh, promises that would never be kept. Mm. And, and it wasn't that it was just going to be all promises that would never be kept to me. I, I just watched, and here's a guy who'd been in business for 30, 40 years. Everybody around him were, was kept chasing the carrot, but nobody got the carrot. And uh, to me, that was, that was an, an incredibly powerful lesson because one, it, it taught me the value of vision and charisma and, and really giving an organization a strong sense of purpose that they, that they would fight for. But it also taught me the lesson that when you do that, you need to, be, you, you need to have ethics and you need to have morality. And you need to be able to back it up and say, if, if you do what you say you're going to do, I will give you opportunities. I will uh, fulfill my side of the deal. Because uh, he, was, he was the master at just getting some, well, just keep going a little bit more. And, 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 um, and, and you know, all this opportunity will be yours. But mm-hmm. it never happened. And, and I look and I do, and I see people who, so I still watch those people. All the people who, who were involved with him are still involved with him. None of them have sort of progressed very far. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So, so to me, it's, it's, it's always, and I, and I, I think it's been, and I, I'm not sure how you are, Don, but I've actually found that some of, my, some of the, the best mentors I have or ha- I've had are ultimately people who I, I say are, are, are I, I look at, they've taught me the wrong way to do things mm. more than they've taught me the right way to do things. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> There's a better way. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, you could look at, yeah, some of the best ways to learn is learn what not to do rather than what to do. Actually, that's, it's pretty good perspective. It's just, as I say, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's always been, been funny is that the, 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 the lessons, the lessons that have been strongest are, are really, I, I don't want to do that. that yeah. That's, that's, that's not the right, that's that, you know, okay. I've seen this before. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to you know, try something else. That doesn't always, that doesn't always mean that it'll be successful, but you know, when you know the wrong way, it, it, it at least it gives you an opportunity to, to, to go for the right way. Definitely. All right, so um, Oakland Marketing International. Yes. So, what was the what was the original mission of this company? So, so when I joined the company, I, I joined in 1999, and I said, and then I said in 2001, I took everything else off my plate and just said, okay, I'm going to focus 100 percent on Oakland. Um, at the time, Oakland was was essentially uh, three companies in one. It was a, a an outsourced. It provided outsourced call center services, and really, you know, the, the idea was with Oakland was going to be the, the number one outbound sales focused call center in Japan. Uh, it had it had a TV shopping uh, uh, focus, and then it had a, a, an import export, just importing the products and, and selling it into the Japanese retail uh, market. And and those and, and each of those three divisions sort of it existed independently. And were their own sort of uh, profit centers. Um, I came into Oklahoma and really focused on the call center side, and, and we were focusing on the sales and marketing. And that was at the beginning, right, right around 1999, 2000, the internet bubble in Japan, and and uh, uh, that was Oklahoma had just brought in some some uh, some outside capital from a, a, a very aggressive internet-focused uh, outbound sales company called Hikari Tsushin. So that was the focus. Um, in the first couple of years, it, uh, it was not very successful uh, in what we were doing. And 
one of the realizations we came to as a management team, that was Robert, uh, his, his partner, Nakamura, myself, and a couple other guys, was that um, we were, we had three business businesses that we we're trying to run in a, in a single company. And that by spreading our resources and spreading our talents into three, uh, we essentially did nothing very well. We were, we were kind of so-so at a lot of things instead of really focusing on, on being the best at one thing. And right around 2002, uh, 2003, we decided that our best opportunity was to focus 100% on being the number one TV shopping company in Japan. And, and that was really an infomercial. And, and that was, that was a, a, a really important uh, decision. And just that decision, well, you know, and, and it, it took us about 12 to 18 months to implement it and, and do that. We went from about $4.5 billion in sales to about $40, $40 million in sales. And we and literally in a two or three year period doubled to about, to about $100 million. Uh, and then uh, in 2005, Robert decided that he wanted to kind of step back and also he, he moved out of Japan to China. And then in 2006, I, uh, I took over. And as you, as you pointed out, at the time, it was, it was about $130, $140 million in sales. And uh, depending on where the exchange rate is at any given time, we, you know, from 2006 to 2017, when I stepped down as CEO, we got it up to just under seven hundred million dollars. And that's is that seven hundred that's seven hundred million JPY? You, no, that's seven hundred million dollars US. Okay, okay. So yeah, that's some, I mean that's some phenomenal growth. So were there was there a strategy that you implemented that helped you accomplish these numbers, or was it a lot of trial and error? Um, of, of course there was there was trial and error, but um, when when I took over the company uh, in 2006, it was, it was, we were really, really poised, I think, to go to the next level. And, 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 and we had, at that point, I had a, so if I, I, I talked to you about my, my anti-mentor, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I realized that uh, I, had a, I had a really strong team. They were dedicated. And so we really spent quite a lot of time uh, thinking about what is the vision of the company? What is the mission of the company? What are our values? Uh, and uh, we, 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 had, we, we created a team that was just extraordinarily focused on uh, providing, uh, you know, providing value to our customers. And, and we cre- you know, our vision was enriching lifestyles and when people talked about that, well, wait a minute, how do you enrich lifestyles um, with, a, with a vacuum cleaner? But so much of what we would do was really focused on people. And we were telling stories about how people used our products to, to literally change their lives. And, you know, and, 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 you know with the infomercials, it's, it's every, with an infomercial, you're, you essentially, you, create, you, you, you show a problem and, and where you you present a problem and you present a solution and it's, but it's all customer based. It's all customer centric. And um, based on my experience at the call center where I had started to, you know, I spent a lot of time in the call center and spent a lot of time listening to what our customers told us. I realized that the stories and that the interaction with our customers was really, really powerful. And so we just, we, we took our vision, we took our and we took our values and then started really taking that storytelling technique and uh, kind of put it on steroids. And, um, you know, back originally when we did the infomercials, most of the infomercials were, we would just take successful infomercials from the United States, dub them into Japanese and, 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 and sell. But we started we started taking those same techniques and then just creating our own powerful stories and documentaries uh, uh, in, with our own creative team 
And so we would, t- we would start with the base from successful U.S. and commercials and then create something new and more powerful. And, uh, you know, that, that proved to be a, a tremendous remedy, uh, uh, you, know, you know, formula for success. And my, pe- my, my staff were, you know, we, we, we had open book management. We had, uh, based on the open book management, everybody could understand where we were in terms of our, you know, our sales, our, our profits and, and, and goals. And, uh, uh, you know, people would, would, would be looking at and striving. They, they would see where the numbers are. When they hit the numbers, they would get, you know, they knew where, you know, they knew that how they were going to be compensated. So we had a, you know, we had a, a, a really strong team that was, that was focused both on compensation, you know, from the perspective, you have to have compensation, but a deeper sense, you know, in addition to the compensation, a deeper sense of what we do makes a difference. And Don, you know that, you know, um, you know, I've, I've been heavily involved with Hope International and, you know, we, we, you know, our whole ACSR policy was woven inside of the texture of our company and then people felt very strongly about it and uh one of one of the uh one of the best moments in my career as a ceo was the monday after the march 11th uh nuclear you know earthquake tsunami disaster mm-hmm. when i i brought i brought our company you know i brought everybody together we, you know every mo- monday morning we had the this huge uh, company-wide town hall meeting and uh, and and you know obviously at the time we had to focus on you know were all of our employees safe and you know you know there were some of them in tokyo had been displaced so we need to make sure to help them get uh food and water and, and and shelter but i still remember my staff looking at me and 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 very clearly saying harry we always say that we stand for something that we, and that we make it that, that, that we need to make a difference in, in our customers' lives and in society. This is the worst thing that's happened in Japan in our memory. What are you and what are we going to do? And they were, and they were like looking at me and saying, you know, okay, I've, we've heard you talk. We've heard you, you know, you, 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 you you say you say all sorts of of of, uh, of of really you know great things. Okay, now put your money where your mouth is. Show us, lead us, and uh, that was that to me. That was you know that was when I realized these guys got it. And uh, and 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 in ten days, uh, I went out. I went out to all of our suppliers. At, at, at our, our suppliers the previous year we had bought. 150 million dollars worth of worth of uh, goods from from suppliers in the United States, and I said, um, "All of you have made a lot of money from Japan. I want you all to donate one percent of what I purchased last year." And I didn't quite get 1.5 million, but I got a million. Um, I then the company we we put a, we put another half million in, and then from some individuals and, and shareholders we got another half million. So in 10 days, I created a fund of two million dollars which we called uh, the Genki Japan Fund. And we, we put a, a program together with Hope and we went in and, and started to help some of the local communities rebuild their business, you know, rebuild their communities and rebuild their businesses. But that all originated from my employees because my employees looked at me and said, if we don't do something, we don't believe you anymore and we'll leave. Wow, that's really awesome. Really awesome. Okay, and Harry, and eventually you guys decided it was time for an exit, or did did suitors come knocking? How, how did the exit or sale, or how did that end up coming so, about? So, actually, so we, um, so in terms of the the exit, you know, we had several um, interactions with. Uh, would be you know buyers and would be buyers and suitors, and Nakamura said, "Hey, you guys got you have to join us right now because we're going to go public in twelve months and we're all going to make millions of dollars." And um, uh, the Japanese internet bubble didn't last very long, and uh, the money that we got from Karitsushi and we blew really quick. <laughs> um, 
and so so that it's a so the interesting thing is and and we ended up with it in a lawsuit with them and so they were our first uh first try at a at a and that was no, that was a, that was a merger. That was but they then small piece of the company. Try that. We ended up didn't end. Up, it wasn't pretty. We ended up getting them out several years later. Um, right at right when I had just uh, become uh, CEO, a, a, a large Japanese trading firm approached us and said, "Hey, we wanna we wanna be an investor in your company. We think you guys are going places." And um, they 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 said we want to buy I, I forget either twenty five or thirty percent of the company and they 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 put a number on that that seemed like a great valuation um, and then said and, and they they it was interesting the way they approached us they said they gave us the valuation first and said now we just have to do the due diligence uh, to to make sure that that, that the valuation is valid uh, and in the the whole the whole uh, process of the due diligence. It became very clear to me uh, that uh, they were um, duplicitous, and that they were they had they had put this high valuation on there to, to get us to open up the doors, and then they said, "Oh, well, we don't like this, we don't like," this. and then kind of like keep knocking down the valuation. So what they were trying to do was wedge themselves in. They got the door open with with, with this with this promise of a lot of money, and then they kept saying, "No, it's good. it's you know we'd, we'd like to, but because of this, we can't give you this money." Um, the the highlight of that was when and this, you know this is a huge Japanese trading company when they uh, had br- brought their they, they wanted the, the final uh, negotiation to go through the contract and they asked to have the meeting with me uh, at our attorney's offices uh, to go over the contract the final version of the contract and the final numbers. And I walked in with my with our attorney, who was you know, uh, you know, very well known attorney at the time, uh, Bob Grundy, and they they said, "Oh, we didn't bring our attorney. You can't have attorney. We just want to negotiate with you." And this said, "There's seven of them, and one of me." And um, and I'm and 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 my attorney goes nuts. I mean, he's like, "This is this is great." And and and, and it, was, it was just it was just so and and, and they're like well we had no idea your attorney was going to be here it's like wait you 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 asked us to have a meeting in our attorney's office and you didn't think our attorney was going to be here that's believable yeah. <laughs> um, so at any rate so I, so I said to my attorney don't worry um, don't worry step out of the room I'll handle it I had I had them sit down I'm, I'm looking at these guys and I I said. How many of you? So they said. I said. They said. Well, we don't have any lawyers here. I said. Okay. Okay. I said. How many of you studied law at at university? And of the seven, six raised their hand. And I looked at them and I said, "We're done." I said, "I. I. It's. It's clear to me that um, that if this is how you would treat us in terms of you know in terms of how we're negotiating the deal, this is how you'll treat us in terms of." How we would be in terms of, as as a partner on, on the board, uh, in, in terms of how we do business together. The funny thing was is that three years later, uh, Docomo came in, and when, when we actually finally did the transaction with Docomo, uh, the valuation was five times more. It was clear to me that our main business, and it, and still Oakland's main business, is the TV shopping side. But there was going to be the whole focus. It, it, it was going from um, analog to to digital. Uh, broadcasting and 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 so it, it, from, from, as we were looking at it, okay, so we were we had successfully essentially made a half a billion six hundred million dollar company, and then the question a lot of we were having is okay, what's what do we need? What are the pieces that would help us go and make be a billion dollar company or a multi billion dollar company? And that's where we started to think. Well, one maybe having some of the safety of, of taking some of the money off the table was, was a good idea. But two, uh, having a strategic partner who could bring in, hopefully, you know, greater access to technology and to, and to development and, and, of course, uh, you know, more, more investment funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that seemed like a good idea. 
at the time. So that's how we, um, that's how we, 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 we approached uh, the process and, and how we, um, and, 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 and uh, ended up making the decision to, uh, to sell 51% to Docomo. Okay. So, but now the question you'll ask is, so how'd it go? And that I'd have to say is, uh, I would have to say probably didn't, it did not go as planned in terms of, in terms of money, it went as planned. And then ultimately, and I, and I ultimately stepped down and, and, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm completely cashed out. So as far as I'm concerned, it was, it was a successful resolution. But from the perspective of, did the partnership create any new value? It didn't. And that was a, that was a tremendous disappointment to me. So all the value that we created, we created um, really, um, we, we could have done exactly the same or maybe even better without Docomo's with Docomo's. So um, from a strategic perspective, unfortunately, um, I, I think that we, uh, we, we, did, we, we did not achieve what we wanted to do. From a financial perspective, it, it worked. You know, again, that, that you know, uh, and, and, um, and, and uh, you know, and, and to me, that's a bit of, it's a bit of a regret because I think that that's what happens a lot with big companies is sometimes big companies talk about the strategic value, but even with, with the Docomo deal, the guys who I negotiated with and who I was really comfortable with, and we had created this kind of plan as to how, okay, how do we, how do we bring our two organizations together and create more value? Both of them were, were transferred within 60 days after we had completed the deal. And then I literally started from scratch with a whole new team. And what I noticed in the Japanese companies, because they rotate their management every two, three years, I was, you know, every two, three years, I was just starting from scratch. And um, what it really meant was uh, from Dokumo's perspective, it was, okay, how do you, you know, how, how do you, Oakland, how do you, Harry Hill as CEO, you know, deliver growth and profit and, you know, dividends, you know, in value, but, but it wasn't, how do we create uh, value together? Mm. Uh, that was, a, that was, you know, we paid, we put, we paid lip service to that. Um, but we never really were able to do it. And, uh, you know, my, my caution, uh, having now done that and, and, and talked to, you know, we had Kikaritsushin, which is supposed to be a strategic investor and didn't work as, as a, a strategic investor. We then had this big Japanese trading company that was supposed to be a strategic investor. And that was clear that they were, you know, that wasn't going to work. And then Docomo came in. And again, I, I, I like Docomo. They're a great company. Absolutely great company. Um, but the, these big companies are not really um, uh, structured to, 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 to have a, a, a kind of a permanent team that focuses on strategic, uh, creating strategic value. And so that, so that in, in theory, it makes, it makes sense, but in practice, it was, it, it, it eluded us. So that's a regret. Yeah. And like you say, I mean, that's, that's not uncommon at all. Like, like you say, when a, when a huge company absorbs a smaller company more times than not, it's the company that's absorbed doesn't grow as they expected. So it's definitely not uncommon, right? No, it's, you know, it, 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 you know the funny thing is if, so Don, um, you know, hubris of, 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 of being, you know, having been, you know, ha having had my share of success before the deal was, before we did the deal with them, I had people tell me exactly that. I said, yeah, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't me and Robert, Robert and I, you know, we're different. <laughs> um, Robert's still there. So maybe, but, uh, but, I, but I'd, I'd say, that unfortunately, what I learned is I wasn't any different. <laughs> Before I let you jump off, why don't we go into um, lightning round very quickly? Great. All right. So, Harry, what would you, um, what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Okay. So I, I, I have a couple. So, like, right at the beginning when I first started my business, I, I read a book called uh, uh, "What They Don't Teach You at the Harvard Business School." That was by Mark McCormick. Uh, that was that was incredibly helpful for me as a young 
you know, 27, 28 year old entrepreneur, uh, good to great. Uh, that was that, that, that really was a, a tremendously influential book, uh, for our whole Oak one team. As we were, as I talked about as as we had to figure out how to, how to stop being, uh, so, so at a lot of things and try and be great at something. Uh, and then another book called Tribal Leadership, which I, I think uh, really uh, solidified in my mind uh, what type of a leader, uh, you know, what type of organization that we wanted and what, what type of leader I wanted to be. And then just on a personal level, I, uh, I, you know, Lord, the Lord of the Rings was always, uh, uh, you know, my, one of my favorite books uh, from childhood. Okay. All right. And how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? I think I, I mentioned earlier uh, the, 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 whole, uh, the whole experience in the United States when I was running that company uh, that, was, that, that was, you know, was doing a huge uh, master plan community golf course that, that I had to take through bankruptcy and um, uh, uh, just, just was, was, was an absolute mess. Uh, uh, between you know this you know part you know uh, partners and and, and uh, you know both partners on you know on the U.S. side and and my Japanese uh, partners uh, and and to me you know everything about that didn't go didn't go uh, correctly but um you know learning how to how to deal with like the, the worst of the worst from a, you know, from a business perspective, lawsuits, uh, going to court depositions, uh, dealing with uh, uh, tremendously unhappy uh, uh, financial institutions and overcoming it. Uh, but most importantly, then stepping away from that and saying, okay, I'm just, you know, this, you know, I, I don't care what I've put in so far. I'm going and I'm going to, I'm going to start new. All those experiences, uh, I think, have, have you know, have made me made me a better businessman, and it certainly allowed me to to realize that when it's bleakest, I can I can walk away and uh, and rebuild. Okay, awesome. And Harry, if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? There's progress or regress. Okay, you choose. Progress or regress. All right. And in the last few years, what new behavior, belief, or habit has most changed your life? Uh, I think the habit that's, 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 that's most changed my life uh, in the last few years has really been... Uh, you know, focusing more on other people, uh, I realized that it's not about me. And, uh, you know, as you get older, I think being able to, to see, you know, see my children succeed, being able to see uh, the people around me succeed uh, has become even more important to me. All right, excellent. And what, what have you become better at saying no to? People who waste my time. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of those out there, actually, right? So, yeah, you definitely have to be able yeah. to say, yeah. Okay, and last one. I'm going to go deep on you. So, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? You know, that, that's a really tough question, Don. But I think maybe the important truth is, is, that, is that there is no truth uh, because everybody has their own, their own perspective. And being able to sort of say, you know, step away from the desire to be right and to listen. And because I think ah. so many people that I talk to, they want to, they want to be right. Mm, yeah, that is such a good answer and so true. Yeah. Especially in today's environment. So true. Particularly today, in today's environment. So everybody was saying, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good, very good, Harry. We really appreciate you um, joining us today. And um, before we hop off, if anybody wants to get in touch with you about collaborating or perhaps um, training with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me.
is just to have them email me. Uh, harry at betteryou.co.jp. Okay, excellent. And uh, just for um, just for you guys will know, I know you, you guys heard a little background noise, but um, Harry's the master franchiser for UFC gym in Japan. So he's at the gym doing the podcast. So it was a little background noise. So that's what that was. That's exactly right. And and just out of, out of completely aside, Don, uh, halfway through our interview, there was a light earthquake as well. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so at one point I was looking around to say, okay, we're shaking. Are we gonna, is, is it going gonna, to gonna shake anymore or are we going to be okay? It, 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 uh, it, it, didn't, it, it, it shook, but not too bad. And we're all, everybody, you know, we were able to just kind of continue on as is. Just a normal morning in Tokyo, huh? Just a normal shake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, again, Harry, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. And um, I'll definitely be talking to you again real soon. All right. Hey, Don, thanks very much today. Likewise. All right. Have a good one, Harry. All right. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.